Good day, Miss Maggie King. How are you? I am doing well. How are you, my father? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. Perfect. It's great to visit with you. I know uh, you've been working on our pod to get it produced and get it out there, and I think we have some pretty awesome content. I I'm wondering, and you know, you're you're 26. Um, do you think that anxiety and depression is just rampant or hyper prevalent among young people today? I'm curious what you think about that. For yourself, your friends, anecdotally, et cetera. Yeah, I think yes. Short answer, yes. Right. Um, obviously, I think my perspective on it is probably just different because I'm a part of the quote-unquote young people crowd. So the idea of like an, an uptick or an increase doesn't feel as real to me because I'm a part of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're being uh, told that, but you don't know any different. Right. It just, it just um, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe you, you know, but I think sure. so that's my first thought about it. Um, and because my perspective is different, it, it is difficult for me to imagine a time where like every other person I spoke to hadn't, you know, gone on and off anxiety or depression medication or been to therapy or, you know, had language to to discuss that with me, um, it's more yeah. rare to find someone who hasn't uh, in my like age group or younger, really. Um, and so it's something that I have personal experience with and kind of started putting words to once I got into college, although looking back pre-college, I know that it was still a thing for me. I just maybe wasn't able to express it or recognize it the same way until yeah. it was so in my face that I, I had to address it somehow. Well, that, I mean, that brings up a, just a whole boatload of questions because people that are older that are in my age range, I'm, I'm 54 now, um, are, are like, what's going on? I, I, I just think that it's a, that it's something worth talking about because ultimately if we you know, like intergenerationally can, can help each other move towards more full lives. Like that's, that's what we want to do. That's like why we have our practice. And that's one of the goals of the podcast is just to put something out there that's helpful. I think that you're in luck today because, uh, you know, we're going to find out more about this. And while we might not have our lifelong question answered about like um, what to do about it, is it really that big of a problem? And has thing, have things changed that much? And what can we do to, to, to fix it? Maybe that's not the right question, but what can we do to help? is ridiculously valid. And um, so uh, uh, Allison and I have this great conversation. So today on our podcast, we part one of two um, episodes with Kristen Hale, who runs Connect and Restore in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's uh, also a licensed therapist and she does brain mapping and neurofeedback in her practice. And they're highly respected and, and super busy and they're doing great, great work. She's a colleague that I respect greatly. She's also a parent of kids that are basically the same ages as my kids, and our experiences are um, super similar. So today is going to be a great part one of a two-parter with Kristen Hale with Connect and Restore. Anxiety and depression in our teens, and what can we do to help? I'm super excited to bring it to you. My name is Chris King, and I am a licensed 
therapist. And today, I'm stuck in my head. Here we go. Let's do it. Okay, hey guys, uh, welcome. Like to welcome uh, our guest host Allison Myers, and our guest today is Kristen Hale of Connect and Restore. Hey guys, tell everybody hi, say what's up, what's going on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hey, hello, hello. <laughs> Let's do it at the same time though, because that's super helpful. Yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, hey, Kristen, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pitch. Uh, kind of who who you are according to me and how I got connected with you and uh, then I'm going to want you to tell us a little bit about kind of what you're doing these days and we have a couple of questions that are going to guide our conversation and and go from there okay okay sounds good awesome okay so I I met Kristen whenever so some folks don't know this but when I've I've been in counseling business like not my whole career I say I've been in the helping people business for 25, 30 years, but I was running camps at New Life Ranch and at a camp in Pennsylvania and working at churches, nonprofits, stuff like that. And then some really good friends said, you know, you, you, should, you just should use that therapy degree and just do that, like quit messing around. And so I'm like a beginning therapist in my early 40s and looking for a room. And I get this, I get this room at 91st and Sheridan at Family Hope House, which is this wonderful group of women that just did this really awesome work with, with children. And they had a room uh, that uh, was facing the sun and had a, and was super hot that nobody, (laughs) and it's just a crap room. And I'm like, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that, so I, I came to uh, meet Kristen and Leslie and her and their team at, at family hope house and, just really respected the work that they did. And as we've kind of branched off into doing different work, uh, Kristen has this practice down the road for me called Connect and Restore. And in, in my mind, what you guys do over there, like you might be, and this is just for me, like, like kind of like the most, re- your just respect level is ridiculously high with you and your mm-hmm. team. Highly trained and uh, super relational and great hearts and you're the leader of that tribe and when I get together with you I want to know more and I think we're going to talk about some interesting stuff so that's my intro and it ain't flattery it's true so tell us a little bit about how you got to do what you're doing and what you're doing these days that would be helpful Kristen yeah absolutely I think I'm laughing because I don't I totally remember that room at that, that <laughs> office it was um really, really hot. And so we were really glad to see you come and take that room because we were all tired of being in there. But um, absolutely, I, I have been really blessed. And Chris, I really don't have that different of a story from you. Counseling was a second career for me. I was in the public schools. I taught for about 15 years and very similar to you, um, just decided I wanted to really use uh, my one-on-one skills with students and went back and got a counseling degree and uh, was have been fortunate to work in lots of different settings. But Connect and Restore is uh, was born out of a, 
kind of a tragedy in my family. My husband mm. lost his job and I was working in the nonprofit world at the time. And, and I just couldn't afford um, on the salary I was making um, to be able to continue working in that, in that field. I have four kids. And so um, I ended up do, doing something different. And I went into private practice on my own and, and really believed that was kind of all I would ever do. Um, never really sat out to say, hey, I'm going to build this other thing. Uh, but it organically grew. And when you work with kids like I do, you f realize really, really quickly, hey, I need to work with adults too, because I need mm -hmm. to work with the adults in their lives. Yeah. And so I went in and went ahead and started working with kids, was super blessed. Um, and then I ended up meeting a couple of different people along the way that were adult therapists and said, Hey, I need some help over here. Can you guys mm -hmm. come and help me? And it just grew organically from there. And so I feel really, really fortunate. I think, you know, you as a, you own a practice, you know, these things that, you know, you're the people you have are the heart of what you do. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I love being able to do what I do, but I also recognize that the people that I have are, are pretty stellar and, and have a lot of training and have that same heart to come in and work with families. And so the focus of what we do now, is what I call integrated care. So meaning that we're working with the family unit. So we work with the kid or if a, if a parent comes and says they come for their own therapy and then in the course of therapy say, hey, I really am struggling with this issue with my kids, then we seek to bring them into our practice and treat the family, um, either with a kid therapist that can help with the child or family therapy. We just brought on a marriage therapist, which has been a, an area that we've really needed somebody. And so um, we've been doing a lot of that work and are just so blessed to be able to to continue that i i'm assuming that you're in the same space that we are is that you get more calls than you guys can field in a week is that fair Oh, fair and sad. It's really, I, can't, uh -huh. I lay awake at night thinking about it, uh, about how much I wish I could help more people. And it's the hardest thing I have to do now to say, hey, I can't. But we're mm -hmm. so fortunate in the Tulsa area. You know, of course, we're able to refer to great places. So um, we try to do that when we can. Kristen, so. is, that, is that new? The, the more calls than you can service aspect? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I've been telling people for the last couple years, even if, you know, you have a wait list of your own or you have more calls than you can handle, I think the big difference for me is I've always been able to connect with other people in the community and somebody can get them in fairly quickly. And now mm -hmm. I'm finding that all my all my colleagues are just as swamped as I am. Yeah. And so it's really hard to, to know that there are people out there that are really needing help and we're not able to provide it. And we're not able to connect them with somebody who can provide it, that the mental health yeah. community it's just that that overwhelmed with the demand yeah it's and it's kind of a weird it, it, it is in some instances and i'm i'm not sure well i, I obviously pandem pandemic and various cultural economic you know issues have to do with all this stuff but but like it's kind of like teaching and some of those other areas where where you know so much help is needed and the people who are experienced and maybe it's different in teaching, but like, but like the people who are experienced and really, you know, can, can have a, a great deal of competency and are highly trained, well, they're all full. And so all of us need more people. And, and there are people coming out of the pipeline, which is really great. Um, and, but they're not experienced. And so sort of that need for like, yeah. you're going to bring people on, you've got to train and mentor and shepherd and love on and, and, and help get younger and less experienced therapists up to speed. And sometimes the public at large isn't even super accepting of that, but we don't 
sometimes we don't have much of a choice and our, cause our people are great. They just, everybody needs time in the saddle, like doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I will say that's one thing that we in our practice really recognized about two years ago. And so Mm -hmm. we've actually taken the step to partner with some of the local universities. And now we have a full-blown internship program at our office. And it's because we want to train up the next generation of therapists. And I laugh with them and say, guys, I'm 52. I'm not going to work forever. You know, you guys have to be able to do this. And they laugh. And of course it's, it's um, a great, a great, thing for us to be able to do and we enjoy training because they're stellar people but to your point just have not had the time in the saddle that some of the more experienced ones of us have had yeah that's that's a real challenge um i do want to ask uh the ladies in the room uh which is Kristen and allison um yeah yeah, come on uh i know that Kristen, that you were a hail rangerette at one point in your life Kilgore College. Yeah, Kilgore uh, College in East Kilgore Texas. Kilgore College. All right. Okay. All right. And I'm a little curious what that was. And Allison, didn't, weren't you like on some sort of dance team or did a thing when you were a kid? I'm, I'm just wondering yeah, if that's I mean, a, a really, part of our. Is this helpful to the conversation on mental health or is this, you just want to embarrass <laughs> me on a larger scale? Yeah, that's, that's why it's helpful for my mental health, which is why we do this thing. That's why we're here. <laughs> this is right. We're here for you, Chris. Well, thank right. you. I, I appreciate that. So, what, so Kilgore College, it was a dance team. What was that? Yeah, Kilgore College is, well, Kilgore, Texas is a little tiny town uh, about 30 minutes from Tyler, Texas, about two hours east of Dallas. And in the 1940s, they started the first ever dance drill team in America. And what they did was they did it to keep the, actually the whole idea of it was to keep spectators in their seats at halftime and keep them from going (laughs) under the stands to drink. And so they brought these (laughs) girls out and... That the Man. rest is history. And so I was a rangerette. Actually, that's where I met my husband. He was a rangerette manager. And uh, we have smart whoa, move on his part. Whoa, whoa, that's what, hang on a second. <laughs> that's he a smart a move. That's a smart manager. man right there. He says he was one of the smartest dudes he knew because he just hung out with all the girls all day long. So um, we, we uh, enjoyed <laughs> that. And, and, of course, I've continued to be involved in that organization, like from an alumni standpoint and support it. But it was a pretty big part of my life, so. That's awesome. And obviously he's a strategic thinker. Absolutely. He is. He tells, he's very smart. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is that dance team like a, it's like a kick team. Like you, you got the boots and the, the whole situation. Yep. The whole yeah. situation. Yeah. Very much like a Western version of the Rockettes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on anything quite that cool. Uh, I, I danced my whole life. It was literally the only thing I knew how to do. And so I tried out for the university of Arkansas Palm squad. Mm -hmm. And as a freshman, you couldn't make anything higher than their JV team, which at that time they were building a new dance team called the RBI girls. Okay. (laughs) We danced uh, on the dugouts at baseball games. Nice. It's yeah, we also kept people in their seats. Um, <laughs> did you, were you, were, did you get angry if they got it? Were you like, shit? Uh, well, it was just so close to the same, like, setup as a strip joint. It just, <laughs> I, we usually didn't have to make anyone sit. It was bizarre. <laughs> it was bizarre. I... But, you know, 
it's fine. It's well, just... and, and what I did just there was not, oh, not super different than what I do sometimes in therapy, which is not incredibly helpful, but anyway. Um, right. So there you go. Uh, so, all right. So one of the, so Kristen, as I was mentioning to you via text earlier this week, because I, I, I got you connected and I, I want this to be a several part of several conversations that, that we can have over the years, you know, sure. like in this format, either me working with you or you working with me or these kinds of things. I thought, well, it's one thing for us just to talk. And I, and, and ultimately my, what I'm hoping for is just to have, I want to put out something that's helpful. Um, it's nice if it's fun and that's good. Um, we want to have fun, we, but we want to just want to do something that's helpful. So I do believe that when you get people in the same room, talking about helpful things and other people can listen in like that's ultimately that's a good thing. But then I thought, well, but is there a, a particular area? Cause if I'm talking to you, honestly, like we could do have an hour conversation about 20 things. Sure. Um, but the thing that kind of was poking around in my head as I was um, driving over to our office in Siloam Springs yesterday was this idea and Allison, I want, I mean, this is, very near and dear to your heart. And it was this question um, of what is up. And I don't even want it to frame it in generational terms, you know, it, uh, wh why mm. is depression and anxiety so pervasive in young people today? And is it, is it a cultural thing? Is it just that mental health is we have an awareness and we call it something different? Is it that they've been raised on the internet? Um, is it a lack of Jesus in their lives? I don't know, you know, like what, what is the thing? And I, I'm thinking about the two of you guys and me, and I don't, I think I have an idea of how old your kids are, Kristen, because we're pretty much the same age. Right. But, but like, like my oldest is 26 and my youngest is 19 right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, Allison, I mean, yours are still in yeah. school. 17 and 11. Yeah. 17 year old twins and then 11. Right. How old are your kids, Kristen? Actually, I'm a twin mom, too. That's another area we have in common. Um, We're basically best friends. We are. I know. How did we not know this before? Let's go get a tattoo together. Right. <laughs> My twins are 17 also, almost 17. They'll be 17 in a couple weeks. Uh, and then they're my youngest. And then I have a 24-year-old, almost 25-year-old, and then a 22-year-old. There you go. Okay. So so our lives are intertwined by like our, our, our parenting. We're parenting kids that were raised in the internet age, you know, they have assumptions about w the world um, that we did not have and that aren't a part of our brain. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I, I have, I have access to all of the world's history and information, geography, etc. I can get that in about three seconds, you know? And so mm -hmm. con concepts of space and time and expectations and what normal is, are not something that our kids have necessarily been raised with unless, you know, unless we raise them outside in maybe a more pastoral setting, like where they have hay fields to work in the summer, et cetera. You know what I mean? Fat question. We could maybe talk the whole rest of the time about it, but what's your, what's your perspective on that thing? What is it with kids with anxiety and depression these days? What do you notice? Allison, you want to weigh in on that or? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this earlier when we were first talking about the volume, the increase in volume that your practice and everyone's practice has received and wondering if, wondering if 
is there, I mean, yes, there, yes, yes, there is, appears to be an increase, not just in occurrence of depression and anxiety, but it does appear to be getting younger and younger. And that does feel new. And I can remember, uh, we moved and moved and moved a million gajillion times when I was little and I did not transition well. And I wasn't a good emoter of my feelings. I was kind of a stuffer and then it sort of blew up. And I remember in the third grade, my parents took me to a counselor and I was the only human being in my life that I, now my dad was an LCSW and had a private practice. So I knew that was his work. But I was the only person I knew in 1987 that had gone to therapy. And that was like my most shameful secret Hmm. versus now I feel like everyone's in counseling. So I wonder if some of it is, yes, there is an increase. And also maybe we have done the work, like we've made it a little more okay to talk about it and made it a little more okay to get well. I don't know. You guys would know more about that than I would. I think that's absolutely true. And I think a couple things, and Chris, to your point, we could talk about this all day, right? There's a lot to say. But I see a couple of things in my practice about, especially about it being younger and younger. Hey, Chris King here. Uh, this is our part where we, we have sponsors and talk about things that are going on. Our primary sponsor is Chris King Counseling, uh, which makes this possible. Uh, but we hope to have other folks involved as well, uh, letting people know about their services and, and folks that support what we do. Uh, the, the one thing we want to let you know about right now is our spring retreat that we have, which is called Wholehearted Help, the Spring Gathering. Uh, it's an emphasis on self-care and the outdoors, and this is what we do every spring. That's kind of our emphasis and when we put together a retreat. It's for all professional helpers, not just mental health people. We gather at New Life Ranch, Flint Valley, over by Silent Springs, Arkansas. Uh, it's at, That's in Oklahoma, just a couple of miles from the Arkansas state line. There are two three-hour CE classes. Uh, one is the Ethics of Self-Care, and the other is uh, Ecotherapy 2023, Uh, people in my field, uh, LPC, psychologists, different folks like that have to get those CEs in to renew their license every year. So we have six hours of that. Thursday is the first day. Uh, It'll be all day long. We'll gather together. We'll do the self-care experience. We will graduate towards dinner in downtown Siloam Springs, which is beautiful. Uh, We'll follow it up with the campfire time. It'll go late into the night for some. Others will just enjoy a quiet night, sleep free from normal responsibilities. So uh, the next day we do the ecotherapy experience uh, and then we move into lunch. And, and this is out uh, at New Life Ranch's 1,000 acres uh, in the beautiful River Valley. And the afternoon is free for folks to rest and recreate there. Um, there's also an option for an additional night stay for folks who just want more time away or to do some solo planning and restoration. You should be able to sign up on our website by February 1st or just contact us at info at chriskingcounseling.com to get connected. Last year was awesome. Uh, Every single person that was there gave big positive feedback, and we'll try to include some of that stuff in some future ads. We want you to come so we can connect, support, and get to know you May 4th, 5th, and 6th for Wholehearted Help this spring.
one of the things that we're seeing that we have never seen before in to give you my background again, I'm an infant mental health specialist. So that means I start with newborns, which sounds wow. crazy, but yeah. mm. we recognize that babies have feelings and yeah. they deal with the world in their own way. And so part of what we do when we start or what we're seeing as the, as people who work with a lot with 10 and unders is we're seeing kids that are two, three, and four that have anxiety. And mm -hmm. we've never seen that before. Yeah. And so we've had this conversation a lot as our staff saying, Hey, what's going on? And we have a wonderful partnership with Tulsa pediatric group and some other great pediatricians in town. And we've even had the conversation back and forth between us about, Hey, why are we seeing so many more kids? kids with anxiety. And what I really believe is that uh, parents, one of the main jobs of parents and the research for attachment backs this up. We use a program called Circle of Security. We talk about it a lot. Uh, we actually teach a parenting class using Circle of Security. But one of the things that that research has shown is that one of the main things that we can do as parents is help kids organize their feelings. And uh, there are a lot of parents, I think the generation I grew up in were very much, yeah, if you've got a feeling, you've got to work on that on your own. <laughs> like I'm right. not necessarily as your mom or dad going to sit down and talk to you about that. My, they might, but my parents were not in that generation where they talked about that stuff. Right. And so I was kind of left to deal with my feelings on my own. And so I think it's a combination of the world getting uh, more stressful, having more access to things, Chris, just like you were saying, but then mm -hmm. also seeing that kids are really struggling and parents not having the, the skill, the maybe good intention, but the skill mm. to sit with their kids in negative emotion. And so mm. they want to take that yeah. away, but oh, they yeah. don't want to sit through the negative emotion. And so what we try to teach parents in our practice is, hey, negative emotions are going to happen. Your kids are mm -hmm. going to get angry or sad and our ability, we call it being with, our ability to be with kids in negative emotion is going to teach them that they don't have to be afraid of these emotions or push them away. And they can work through them with the help of a supportive caregiver. And mm. that's where we really seek to try to teach parents how to do that. And guys, it's hard. I'm a parent watching your kid hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. The worst thing ever. But knowing that life is going to throw some things at you and you need to have an ability to handle that is important. Well, I, I absolutely. And I just think about on so many levels uh, what I'm hearing you say and even Allison, kind of your description of like what that was like for you as a kid makes me think about this, you know, in ACT therapy. This is my jokes in ACT therapy. By the way, I have about six that I use over and over again. Um, in, AC, in ACT, um, they have six core needs, that, like any kind of like counseling, counseling theory or even just general life philosophy tends to like identify core human needs. And they have six. I, I tend to use like focus on three of them because I only memorized three. Um, the, the other three are out there and you'll need to go to a different office to access all six. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, uh, the, the three that I tend to tend to work with are connection, you know, the need for human connection, competency, the need for purpose, or, you know, to be good at a thing, something and, uh, but, and orientation. And I find orientation is super kind of a weird word in that. And, it, you know, it'd be, it would like, we think about the idea of attachment and, and, and chronic stress and or trauma. And what it does to the brain, and Chris and I really want to get into some brain conversation with you because, like, mm -hmm. you know, you know what's up with brains. Um, orientation, like it's like uh, if someone gave me a, a picture of a map, but there was no "you are here," like there right. was no 
you know, I, I, I see these, these towns and these and streets and places. I don't know where I am in relationship to that. And so, so kids and when their brains are vulnerable and are like, I, I mean, you're in my life, but who am I to you? And, and when I'm struggling, can I, can I trust you to, to allow or accept um, this thing that I'm going through that I don't even know what it is. And so this, which really triggers that, you know, the amygdala and our fight, flight, freeze, and kind of, we, we get super hot back there and, mm. and um, we can live our lives in a, in a chronically stressful state um, b- because our parents maybe just didn't either a know what to do with our emotions B um, because of our, our religious context, like said something like, mm. uh, like get positive, like, you know, mm-hmm. be thankful, um, you know, look at what God has done for us, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, then there's guilt that's laid in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or see them like, like just, just not feeling safe or knowing where to go when, when there's this thing that's coming out of you. That's like perfectly natural. It's, it's just like a con- like negative, you know, finger quotes, negative emotion is a, a part of being a human being. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, but what we need the adults in our lives to show us like that, that's okay. And how to do that. And I was thinking also today, these days, and I think about my shortcomings as a dad is like the influx of information and activity and living suburban lives makes us less attentive to our kids. Like we're literally not prioritizing them. Right. And so we're, so we might not even know, we might know that their negative emotions are okay to accept, but we're too busy looking at our phones. Well, and I would even go beyond that and say, not only we're not paying attention to our kids, we're not paying attention to ourselves. Amen. We're not, we're not in, we are not present in the moment Mm -mm. with our, with ourselves, with our kids, with our dogs, with our house, with our, whatever. We're not, we are not present. And, you know, we just can't, especially as parents, I just don't think we can separate my, my role as a, as the parent in seeking whole health and wholeness, I can't separate that from my kid's journey. Mm. Um, I, if I am always chasing only positive emotions and, and always running away from negative emotions, I cannot invite my child to sit with their negative emotions because I don't even know how to sit with mine. That's absolutely true. Dude, you segued Kristen Hale super awesome right there because Kristen Hale got on the socials just the other day and said something about adults and parents and their stories. Did you not? I did just yesterday, in fact. Go talk to us. (laughs) So one of the things I see a lot as a child therapist is parents will come in and they'll bring their kid in for a variety of struggles, anxiety, depression, or whatever. And what I hear from them is, hey, I need you to help my kid. And then mm-hmm. when we really talk through what's going on and I start to work on this concept of like being with and emotions and working through that and inevitably what comes up and it's, Hey, it's come up for me as a parent in my own kids seeking therapy, therapeutic services is, Hey, how well do you sit with your own kids emotions? Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes up, what inevitably comes from that is, Hey, we might need to do a little work surrounding mm-hmm. that yeah. about how, why that's hard for you. And it is amazing to me the resistance I get from that Mm -hmm. um, with parents about, no, I just need you to work with my kid. I'm good. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. We laugh about that. We have a a dog with a coffee mug, a stuffed dog that says, I'm fine. We're all fine. Um, But Mm. 
it's really prevalent. And so what I said yesterday, I actually reshared from a different podcast, but it was the statement that the single most important thing you can do for your kids is work on your own story. Know your mm. own, know yourself, know why. Uh, and one of the things I love about Circle Security, which is, again, the program we use, is that it about half the program is working on your own stuff, <laughs> working yeah. on your own story. And that's the, where the pivot takes place for the families that leave my office successfully and the families that really struggle is the mm. willingness of mom and dad to come in and say, hey, we know we've got stuff and how we interact with our kids. We're bringing all our parenting and all our experience into that interaction. But, dude, I just think about how my own my my projections now that I'm you know in my 50s and looking back on my parenting career, which was a mixed bag. I mean, uh, I'm I I I I, I think it's it's fine, it's good. Um, but when I say mixed bag, it's like I I gave a lot of emotional energy to um, preventing what happened to me. Mm. You know, and and I had I had you know a, a great mother who was super helpful, but I had a and biologically an absent father who left when I was a kid. And so like that, you know, that created a bit of an abandonment schema for me where I was just like, I, I created part of my lifelong personality and connectedness. Like I could keep you around. I was good at that. Yeah. And, and I remember uh, my wife saying to me whenever we were having a challenge with one of our kids when they were young, (laughs) she's like, let them figure it out. They'll be okay. You know, like I, I didn't have to get quite so, I, you know, I just, I would just get really, really wrapped up making sure that things were going to, things were going to go right. My own, my own fear really contributed uh, to my parenting in some of those ways. And I, I just think that's, I see it every day. It's super prevalent, right? Yeah. I have that same experience as a parent of adult kids. I kind of have a joke with my kids. Hey, you need to organize all your complaints about me into a spreadsheet so that like your therapist can access them better. And they, <laughs> right. they think that's really hilarious. But I mean, you, you know, you do have the opportunity when you have adult kids to look back and know the things you did well and the things that maybe you'd redo or do differently. And so I, one of the things that very similar is that I had, I really struggled with my kids having negative emotions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes from my own family of origin that they didn't do well with my negative emotion. But, you know, the advantage of having four kids for me is that I've done better. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I told my old daughter, I said, hey, I, you know, you're my guinea pig. I tried to figure this out. But with my younger ones, I've done better. And the message <laughs> that we teach in our parenting is, hey, guys, it's never too late. It's never too yes. late to start this over. If you have adult children, you can start being with them. Yeah. The minute you realize you could be better mm-hmm. is the moment to start being better. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. And of course there's consequence and, and, and whatever, but it's never too late to do the right thing. I mean, isn't that what we teach our kids? I mean, isn't that the kind of human beings we want them to be? But so often it seems like we're like, well, the ship has sailed. Right. They're, <laughs> you know, they're 14 now they're, <laughs> but then someone told me the other day that I, my kids can stay on my insurance till they're 25 but i only get a tax credit for them until they're 18 now explain that to me you're, well you're you're one of the many uh middle to upper income white people in the country that are getting screwed it, right. like it's we're yeah, all, yeah it's, it's really hard yeah, it's whatever hard. it's hard but that um, is a the, i mean and you guys working with the family unit i wonder if as we continue to move forward, the future really is not just even in mom and dad and kids, 
but like let's bring the whole crew in here like let's bring grandma and grandpa and because it's a family system right absolutely I want to make I I, I'm a reflecting adult now I have my own family I want to look backwards and go oh yeah that was really good I'm going to keep that or uh I think that was fine for me but that's not going to work in this context so I'm going to leave that well Mm -hmm. then my family of origin is going what's the deal we didn't do that (laughs) you know where you are you just like so good at life now that you don't need our ways or you know whatever and there's pressure that's that's every week in my room dude (laughs) (laughs) for sure I agree I mean because it is it's it's ripples it's uh it's long, it's long game. It's not short game. And these are all the things no one ever tells you when you're well, starting to be a human being. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, Kristen, how do you help the adults in those, in those spaces where they're feeling that pressure on both sides? I mean, like what's, what's been your experience with that sort of thing? Well, actually I love the idea of multi-generational work. That's something that we strive for we kind of say birth to the elderly in our practice and Mm -hmm. we do have families that i'll say hey bring in you know mom or dad who would be grandma or grandpa to kids and i've had that happen and when we do it's really great um I think there has to be an open posture for the family uh, to be able to do that and a willingness to say, hey, we're here to figure this out together about the things that really work well. The other thing that I that I like to do is a concept called just delighting in people and recognizing Mm. that they are doing the very best they can with the skills and and history that they have. Mm. And so it's a really open, non-judgmental space to say, hey, all these things that you feel like you might be doing wrong, actually you're doing a lot right too. There's yeah. a lot mm-hmm. here yeah. that's going really well. And so we're going to take all those things together and we're going to recognize that this is a journey. I probably say, you know, a hundred times a, a week for, or for every client I see guys, this is a journey. We're on a yeah. marathon here. You are not going to get to the end of this. I, I had this conversation this week with several clients saying, hey, guys, how do you know when you're done with therapy? And they're <laughs> like, well, we still have issues. And I said, yeah, because that's life. You're going to have issues. But your yeah. ability to handle them, you have to feel confident and, and feel like you can handle them. And that's where therapy comes, can come to a close when I think, I think you've got the skill. You just have to practice now just have to yeah yeah isn't that the goal and it's a beautiful thing when you when you get with someone you're like i'm gonna miss you yeah and and maybe they're like i'm gonna miss you i don't know sometimes they say that sometimes they don't (laughs) (laughs) but but like you know you you got this no really really you got this like you 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 can do it and uh you've got what it takes and i enjoyed being a helper on the way but but you can do this and that's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing okay hey maggie king that's me yep that, that's quite a conversation. You are the one that was putting together and editing and putting that conversation into a part one and a part two. Yeah. Um, we want to say thanks to Kristen for part one, but tomorrow we're going to put out part two. What's some stuff that we can expect to hear about in that episode? Tomorrow's part two, uh, we'll hear a little bit more about Kristen's experience, for lack of a better phrase, with brains. <laughs> and the work the work she does there that's super super interesting to me and I think will be to a lot of people um she's just super knowledgeable in that area and you and Allison and Kristen also get into the conversation of generationally what these mental health conversations 
look like or could look like um, yeah. or why they are so complex. Um, and if that's yeah, what, what can parent, yeah, what can parents and folks do to help? I mean, cause yeah. I think a lot of us feel helpless to be able to help our kids, particularly our kids who are young adults. Um, the other thing I want to say, I know we were going to keep the, this last part brief. You and I said that, and I have difficulty with that. Uh, no, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say, and maybe I'm repeating myself in the podcast, but like therapists that give energy to being uh, trauma informed and understanding the importance of how trauma operates in brains, trauma, trauma and chronic stress. Like if we can learn how to accept that, that brains do what brains do, brains are made to keep us alive, brains are made to protect, brains do brain stuff. And then learning how to cope and work with our own brains and uh, knowing what to expect and not piling on extra anxiety and, and, and extra um, stress and being twisted up because things aren't going like we think they ought to. Um, right. Therapists can, I mean, if we're doing a good job, we can p help people learn how to accept some of this stuff and then frame it differently. And our lives can be changed. And I think Kristen's right at the forefront of that. So yeah. that's my plug for our next episode and for, for seeing her, honestly, like she does an awesome job. Uh, we'll be back with another episode that we're putting out tomorrow, which will be part two of this conversation with Kristen Hale and uh, Allison Myers. Uh, looking forward to finishing that conversation with them. Maggie, thanks for your work. We will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. See ya. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.